Hey, 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 this is Lisa A, and you're listening to Who's That Star on LCC Connect at Lansing Community College. Who's That Star is a behind-the-scenes show where I sit down and talk with the employees at the college. This is an inside look at LCC, where you have a chance to learn about their passions, projects, and what inspires them both in their work and personal lives. I'm your host, Lisa Alexander. And I'm so excited to get a chance to talk to all the people who make LCC great. This show is for you to get to know the people that work at Lansing Community College a little bit more and see what makes them tick. Are you ready? Okay, let's find out who's that star. Hey, 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 this is Lisa A. And you're listening to Who's That Star, Trustee Edition on LCC Connect at Lansing Community College. Who's That Star, Trustee Edition is a special segment where we are showcasing the members of our LCC Board of Trustees. You are getting an inside look where you will learn more about their passions, projects, and what inspires them to serve on the board. I'm your host, Lisa Alexander, and on these special editions, I will have a special guest host to help us learn more about the board. Are you ready to learn who our special guest co-host is? Drum roll, please. My special guest host is Dr. Steve Robinson, president of Lance Community College. Dr. Robinson, welcome. Oh, Lisa, thanks for having me back. I'm so glad to be back on your show, and I'm really excited about these trustee editions. We're going to have a great conversation today. I think so, too. I'm excited to have you here. So tell everyone who we're talking to today. Well, Lisa, today our guest is the chair of our board of trustees, Ryan Buck. Chair Buck was elected to the board in November of 2016, and since that time, he's been an outstanding trustee for our college. He served as vice chair, and he's currently on both our audit committee and the foundation board of directors, which means I get to spend a lot of time with Chair Buck. Chair Buck, welcome to Who's That Star Trustee Edition. Thank you for having me. This is always an epic opportunity to be on campus, so I'm really great to, really happy to be here. Epic opportunity. Did you hear that? Yeah, epic yeah, opportunity. I did. It's no wonderful. pressure. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, this is my first time, I think, really getting the chance to talk with you, Trustee Buck, so I'm excited about it. I tend to always run away from the trustees normally because I'm like, <sighs> I don't, says that. I do because, you know, I'm like, okay, I don't know what to say or whatever, but you guys are friendly and approachable, and so I think this is a good opportunity for us to showcase that. Trustee Buck, I don't know if you've had a chance to meet Lisa before. She's one of our academic advisors, one of the big rock stars here helping our students. So we're going to have a great conversation. It's going to be a lot of fun. Awesome. I always love meeting our employees. They make the dream work here at LCC. Yeah, I have the best job and um, I love working with my students. And so this is just uh, icing on top of the cake to get yeah, an opportunity yeah. to do this. So thank you. And I want to address what you, you said something earlier about running away from us. <laughs> That's on us. That's on the trustees to work on our relationship with our employees from top to bottom. Um, I recognize who I am when I'm on campus, mm -hmm. even out in the community and how we interact with our employees. We have to be very careful about what we say, what we do, because we don't want to imply this is a directive right. and we're your boss's 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 boss. <laughs> and that's always a trap. But yeah. that's something on the trustees that we need to do better about. So you don't want to run away from us. I don't. No. And I found <laughs> that I've really had a great conversation with Trustee Vave. And it, 
And it's just me. I know Trusty Matthews, but sometimes I'm like, power, I better go. <laughs> <laughs> well, hopefully that's mostly a joke. It is. Right. Yeah, it yeah, is. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, why don't we get started with the uh, questions? Lisa, you got some great questions, and why don't you start? So, Chair Buck, tell me a little bit about yourself. Well, sure. Um, I'm actually a transplant to the Lansing area. Grew up in the UP, born and bred in the UP. I... You can't hear it in my accent anymore, but I had a very thick Uper accent when I came down for college. And um, at this point, I've been down here for, oh gosh, almost 20 years. And my brother calls me a troll now. I, I think I lost my <laughs> Because Uper you card. live below the bridge. Live right? below the bridge. Oh, wow. Okay. I never knew it's, that. It's, been, it's both lovingly and maybe not so lovingly said of, <laughs> by Upers of people living below the bridge. Wow. We're all trolls. So where did you go to school? So I, um, I'm a product of the public school system, Ishpeming Public Schools. Um, that's uh, if you're familiar at all with uh, the UP, I would call Ishpeming a suburb of Marquette. Okay. Uh, uh, Marquette only has about 20,000 people. So that's, I don't know how big of a city that would be comparative. But um, yep, born and bred in the UP. Uh, my entire family's still up there. I came down to lower Michigan to go to college at Central Michigan University. Yeah, so you were at CMU yep. and then uh, went to Michigan State University Law School, right? Yes, I did. Mm -hmm. Yep. I'm a licensed attorney and I work for Ingham County Clerk Bar Byram, um, part of uh, the circuit court system here in Ingham County. Hmm? Wow. That's great. Yeah. You know, one one piece of youper knowledge that uh, Chair Buck imparted to me has to do with the delicacy of, uh, above the bridge, yes. which is the, the pasty. The right? pasty. The pasty is an important meat pie that is served up there, but there's a correct way to eat it, <laughs> and there's a tourist way to eat it. Our listeners might want to hear that. You know, the more I ask this question of fellow youpers, I'm finding that I might not be in the majority. Oh. So uh, you have your pasty. It's as Dr. Robinson indicated, it's a meat pie with usually like beef. It can be with other meats, uh, carrots or rutabaga, potato. And that's wrapped in this really good uh, flour. It almost looks like a, uh, like a turnover. Mm -hmm. And in my family and in my school district and in my town, <laughs> we always ate our pasties with ketchup. Right. Oh. It was savory meets that like acid tang with the ketchup. Mm -hmm. That's what I thought. That was the only way to have it. Moved down to lower Michigan, living my life, meeting other people. <laughs> right. I, a uh, little bit of culture shock, but uh, started meeting people from the Eastern UP. And there it's more common to have gravy. Oh. Gravy on your pasty. And as expanding my worldview. Oh, what? What? I was so offended at first <laughs> right. that they would destroy the deliciousness of a pasty. But uh, yeah. With ketchup. Yeah, with ketchup. <laughs> I always recommend it with ketchup. You can try it with gravy. But I, I've heard the tourist way is to have it with gravy. But okay. I just, nope. Do you have a favorite place? <laughs> so I've had so many pasties in my life. Richmond Township Volunteer Fire Department Annual pasty fundraiser. Oh wow! <laughs> we this got little the scoop. I know little tiny town in the UP, which I love. Richmond, Richmond Township. Okay, the town is Palmer, and I just remember growing up. My mom said, "Oh, we got some more of the fundraiser. 
past seasons. Like, yes, we covet them. <laughs> yeah. Um, but they freeze well and they unfreeze and they're just perfect. So I'm learning so much about the Upper Peninsula, right? Yeah. I never heard a lot of these stories, yeah. never knew of any of these places. So it's great. You're really informing us. You're welcome. Well, we didn't know that we were going to have food travelogue today. <laughs> I know. And we're, trusty we're, edition. We're recording this right around lunchtime, too. So. I know. It's, it's getting to be lunchtime. So, <laughs> you know, we, this the whole point of this show, Chair Buck, it, it, and it's, it is my favorite show, Lisa, is that we get to know people in the LCC orbit, right? So we have a bunch of questions, and Lisa and I are going to um, alternate. And so why don't you ask the first question question, Lisa, uh, you know, and then we'll get started in our conversation. Okay, for sure. So trustee Buck, what's your favorite part about being a trustee at LCC? When I joined the board, I tried to think, what is my personal mission here? What is something I can do to make the college better? Um, In the first five years, it was listening. Mm -hmm. It was listening to our students, listening to our employees, um, listening to our community members. What, what is best for the college? I might've been elected and I can vote on the budget. I can direct how the college operated, but I had to learn how the college operated. I'll be completing six years now at the end of this year. And what I've learned is I have to learn more. To your original question, the best part of being a trustee it is getting to sit on the stage at graduation in mm. May. And it's such a heartwarming, just jubilant time. But what I am always looking for is the students or our new graduates looking up into the stands at their family members, their friends, their supporters, and just thinking how, how much it took for them to get there. Mm-hmm. So I, I think that's always my first thought. And then I think about the people who might not have that kind of support system. And they might have that support system here at LCC. Right. We're building that support system for those people who don't have it maybe elsewhere. And it feels like the middle word of our name, community, all centered down on those graduates. And I always take a moment just to let it, just let it seep in, just enjoy it, and just know that for these students, they're going to have a much better life because they started here. Oh, exactly, for sure. That's the I most agree. rewarding part. I was so sad when we didn't have graduation for a couple of years, in person at yes. least. And it was nice to have it again. And, and Lisa, you do such a great job of great answers yeah. in conversations like this because you should have seen Chair Buck at uh, commencement. I mean, all of our trustees really enjoy and have a good time. But one of my favorite pictures from this last commencement is there's a student getting recognized and Ryan has the biggest smile on his face. <laughs> yeah. You know, and they really do celebrate the success. So we have a great time at commencement. I do too. I love that part. Yeah. And I'm glad to see that you do. And you, you're so, you know, juvial. You have a, <laughs> a, the great I personality. Try. And I think that just, it just makes people feel good. And I think the students, when they get that, mm. it's a good feeling. I so. believe if you put positivity out into the world, you'll get it back tenfold. Even if I'm having a bad day, when someone calls me on the phone, either at work or from the college, they'll say, how are you doing, Ryan? Oh, I'm living the dream. <laughs> Looking toward a day of golden opportunity. That's right. Just to get a laugh out of them, because they might not be having the best day themselves. Mm-hmm. And maybe maybe I can leave our interaction with them in a better headspace than when we got together. For sure. That's too cool. So I'll ask the next question. Um, 
Tell us a little bit about your work at LCC. In the intro, I said a little bit about your committee assignments and things yeah, that you're doing. But, yeah. you know, what what are your roles here? And maybe yeah. a little bit about what it's like to be board chair. You've been yeah. board chair for two years. Yeah. So, um, like I said earlier, my first couple years was listening. Mm-hmm. What What is going on at the college to create a framework for positive change? And so for the past two years, I've been serving as the chairperson of the board of trustees. And um, I don't know if my colleagues would enjoy my commentary on it, but sometimes it's like herding cats. We are all (laughs) elected at large from a very large district, a very diverse district. And we're a very diverse board, too, and we have a lot of ideas. So it's, it's about coalescing those ideas that align ourselves with the vision that our constituents, our students, our employees, they all have for the college as well. So my first couple of years was about listening. Since being vice chair for two years and now being completing my second year as chair, I think my mission now or my goal is to build authenticity. Mm. When I was elected chair, I met with Dr. Robinson for our first one-on-one and I said, I want to build a culture of authenticity at the college. We're going to do what we say we do. Right. In 2020, the board approved a resolution to address uh, racial injustice through diversity, equity, and inclusion. Mm. We could have just stopped there. Right. And a lot of governmental bodies stopped there. A lot of corporations stopped there. We didn't. And through the leadership of Dr. Robinson, Dr. Tanya Bailey, our chief diversity officer, we created an equity action plan to make sure... DEI is institutionalized at the college, that we are going to do what we say we did. Mm -hmm. And the fortunate part of me being the trustee is I get to do the resolution and then just make sure our president follows through. And Dr. Robinson has followed through and then some. And this is just one example of building that authenticity that I'm approachable, I'm responsive, and together we'll find the best solution that moves the college forward into the future. That's great. Yeah, and we really appreciate you for that. And, you know, in addition, the being the chair of the board is extra work. You know, it, it really is. So <laughs> it was uh, last uh, night. We had yeah, a yeah, board so, meeting last night. Yeah. Mm-hmm, yeah, we had, and, it, and, it, and it went for a while because yeah. we were talking about important stuff, student success data, a lot of the DEI work. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the chair puts in extra work working with me, setting the agenda, working with our board liaison, Benita Duncan. It's a, it's a lot of work. And as we talked about before, Lisa, the, these are not paid positions. Right. These are volunteer positions, and we're really lucky to have uh, Chair Buck's time. I wanted to ask a follow-up because you said when you first came in, you just wanted to listen. Were you you provided training on how to be a a trustee? Yes, I do have to compliment LCC for our involvement in the Association for Community College Trustees. Um, That's the national organization that represents trustees' interests nationwide. Um, We also have a state organization, the Michigan Association, MCCA. Mm -hmm. Michigan Um, Community College Association. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Um, But as a part of our onboarding process as a trustee, the first uh, conference that we typically go to is a legislative summit in D.C. It's usually in February. Trustees take office in January. Mm -hmm. So we go to D.C. in February and we take part in an all-day training for a new trustee institute. Got okay. Where we have former board trustees, members, former presidents, train us on how to be a trustee. It's it's not sometimes what we say, it's it's the refraining from saying anything at all. Because I am very aware that when I walk into a room, 
even though I think I'm, I'm just, I'm just Ryan Buck from Ishpeming, Michigan, mm-hmm. living in Holt, Michigan. Um, but I know what I say might trigger action at the college that I didn't really intend. Right. Yeah. You know, your impact is different mm-hmm. than maybe even you perceive it sometimes yeah. with just other people because yeah. you are yeah. our board of trustees. Oh, yeah. So. And I, I would say that with, with our new trustee institute, we do that. But we also do like a comprehensive onboarding process where the new trustee will meet with the president, um, his executive leadership team with the chair, just so we kind of like set that framework for how we view being a trustee should be carried out. And then we give that trustee six years to help evolve that onboarding. Mm-hmm. Um, we won't be having a transition in trusteeship with this upcoming election. We'll be a stable board into the next two years. But um, things always change. We could see you. Yeah. Well, thank you for that. I, I tend to ask questions because I didn't know. And yeah. I think it's just good information to know mm-hmm. about what your training Absolutely. is. Yeah, exactly. But talking about training, what about your education? What, what yeah. like your bachelor's or yeah. do you have yeah. a master's? I know you said you were an attorney. attorney. Yep. yep. So could you talk a little bit about sure. that? So I was uh, lucky in having some really great parents who supported me in my higher education journey. Um, they didn't have the, quite the same support when they were growing up. So my brother and I are first-generation college students. And um, I, I attended Central Michigan University. I was one of two people from my graduating class to go down there. So it was a very different world down there. Hmm. Um, I realized how small of a bubble I lived in in the UP. Um, fantastic place to grow up. Don't care for the winters. It was a fantastic place to grow up. But I realized that my worldview can expand when I went to CMU. I spent four years at CMU. I graduated with a bachelor's in science and political science and um, European studies. And I realized, uh, um, well, a bunch of things happened at CMU, but I realized I had to chart my path past CMU. So I chose to go to law school. Mm -hmm. There was one event that happened at, at CMU that really triggered me down that path, but I was uh, lucky enough to get a scholarship to MSU Law and came down here and bought a house in Lansing and had some friends live with me so I could afford to live down here and pay tuition, exorbitant tuition. But uh, yeah, three years at MSU Law, graduated with honors. And Uh law school is an experience in learning how to read the law. It's not learning the law. It's how to read the law and understand it. Wow. Um, there's a subtle distinction there. Right. And so when you graduate from law school, you take the bar exam, the worst test I've ever taken in my life. Oh, my goodness. The amount of prep work that goes into taking the bar exam is just mind blowing. And then you have to pass character and fitness, too. If you have questionable issues in your past, you want to be an attorney. We lawyers in Michigan are fortunate that we're self-governing mm-hmm. um, our state bar of Michigan we um, are lucky in that in that regard. So we have to make sure that we're filtering out those who have questionable issues in their past that perhaps would not make for a good attorney um, to protect the public. Really. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, and you shared with me that one of the reasons you one of the many reasons you like our commencement, which is at the Breslin Center, is it's a happy occasion <laughs> happening in the room where I, you took the bar exam. You know, I forgot about that. I always forget this. But as Dr. Robinson, I'm sorry, I brought some trauma. No, I, 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 oh, I, it's going through my eyes right now. No, um. Traditionally, the bar exam for Michigan is taken 
you take the exam in the well, the where the court is of the Breslin Center. Oh. So my memories of that building are much different than others who have maybe season tickets to go watch right. Spartans play. Right. Um, it was just long tables, all these cords, so people are plugged into computer. Their computers are plugged in. It was, it was just an experience. It sounds like <laughs> it, but it sounds like you got some good experiences at CMU, which led you to MSU and led you here to yeah. us. Yeah, and I would say there, there's good and bad experiences. I, I think CMU was a great place to learn because not everything was great. Right, there was some. That's life lessons. Though. Life it, lessons, it absolutely. Is. And that's a great transition to our next question, which is what life lessons have you had to learn the hard way? Well, since we're kind of on the topic of CMU, I, uh, the toughest life lesson I ever went through, um, when I attended CMU, it was my coming out. I was, I was allowed to be who I was mm -hmm. going to be or to learn who I was going to be. And, um, I got involved in all these different things, especially in our residence halls. Mm -hmm. And one thing I always wanted to be was a resident assistant, an RA. Mm -hmm. I would have a floor assigned to me. I would get to work with these students, be like kind of that, for lack of a better phrase, a big brother, yeah. um, and make sure like our policies are being followed, our policies and procedures. And I was like 19 or 20 years old at the time. And um, I started feeling entitled. I was an RA, I was getting free room and board, but I was in one of the older buildings. And I thought, you know, I want to be in a nicer building. I want to be in a nicer building. I want, I need. And so there was this transition of, of entitlement. Mm -hmm. And so I was in this mind space. And one day I got called into my supervisor's office and uh, asked me directly, Ryan, did you drink alcohol? in the dorms over the weekend. And I panicked. I, how could you know? I was underage, mm -hmm. fully acknowledged that. Yeah. I can't, I, I'm, I'm sure I'm one of many oh, yeah. who <laughs> imbibed when they were underage. Um, the irony that that weekend, I only had one drink in the dorms with some friends. And I, I share this because I want to be authentic mm -hmm. and transparent. Yeah. And, she asked me to resign. She didn't fire me, mm. but asked me to resign. And I did. And it was a horrible, horrible experience. I had to move out of my dorm. Oh, so wow. everyone knew. Oh, geez. I had to move into another dorm in the same complex. Wow. This wasn't even the trauma. The stories, the evolution, the proliferation of misinformation about what my transgression was mm. just it just took a life of its own i was oh, in a no. building with two thousand people like so gossip gossip that i i held a huge party with my with my residents in my room wow. um just these really horrible things and i experienced for the first time in my in my life what ostracism to be mm. ostracized and that wasn't even the traumatic part my transgression, I accept that that was the right, correct route to go with my resignation, my forced resignation. But it was watching everyone else do things mm. that were as bad or worse. We talk about creating a culture here at mm -hmm. LCC and the culture at that time, the expectations differed. 
mm. depending on where you worked and who you worked for. Mm-hmm. But sometimes you had to be made an example of. And I can accept my repercussions, but when you see someone else doing the same thing or worse, it just creates this anger inside me. And it almost felt like an injustice. Yeah. And, yeah. So it's like a dual standard. Dual, like, a dual yeah, standard. Yeah, yeah. And um, I, I, I hope they've addressed that standard now, but it's what made me want to go to law school. I got involved with a pre-law fraternity, Phi Alpha Delta, at CMU. Got very involved with it and decided this, this is my path. This is what I want to do. I want to fight for justice for others who might not have had the best experience. And I acknowledge that's a very small experience for me, but that was my experience. And Well, it's an example of taking a personally traumatic experience mm-hmm. and turning it into a springboard for something exceedingly positive. Exactly. Yeah. I was going to say, because you, it could have went the other way. It could have been where you were just so frustrated and you were yeah. like, I give up and I'm yeah. not going to do that. And so that's why I agree with you, Dr. Robinson. It, that's commendable because you, you took a hardship and saw it in a way that you wanted to help others from mm-hmm. that and then mm-hmm. help yourself and look what happened now. You know what yeah. I'm saying? So I, I think that's cool. I, I, me I, too. I think of the story often when I'm working around with students or even the faculty because in building a culture of authenticity, it is creating equity mm. across our procedures and policies so that if one person performs in a certain path and the person next door performs in the same path, at the end of that path, there's the same result. Exactly, yeah. And that's that's what I didn't experience when I was in my formative years. Right. Well, I th- that's a great story. And I'm glad that you Thank took you. the time to share that. Um, I wanted to ask you another question. What ways do you achieve work-life balance? I love that question because I'm always, at least in the last couple of years since the pandemic hit, is trying to find that work-life balance. Um, I add work-life trustee balance. Right, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I think... Work-life balance is one of those buzzwords that Mm -hmm. you hear when someone's already having a bad experience at work. And uh, for me personally, my work-life balance, when I get done at five, I'm I'm a managerial employee, so I will always be on call for my staff, for my my supervisor who I work for. Um, But... I will try not to read emails after five o'clock. Okay. Yeah. Um, unless there's something special happening. Uh, when I go on vacation, I will take my emails off my phone. I'll take my LCC emails off my phone so that I can get into a better headspace. Um, because constantly getting those reminders of all those things you need to do or haven't done, even here at LCC, it, it wears on you. Yeah. yeah. That's one thing that Dr. Robinson and I have talked a lot about with work life balance. He has encouraged his staff and throughout the college to use your vacation time that you've accrued. Exactly. Including him. Mm -hmm. I encourage him. (laughs) Yes, he does. Get his respite. It's true. I believe in that. Yeah. Holy. Well, and if I could just add, um, Chair Buck's day job is a very busy job you know so he talked about three realms the the work realm the the personal realm but he's also got what i would call a service realm he's Mm -hmm. he's serving as an lcc trustee and that takes a ton of time too 
So I'm always appreciative when he's able to, you know, talk about an issue quickly during the day because I know he's got a, a busy day. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the things we really appreciate our trustees juggling these three realms of because they have to, you know, have a personal life, they have a, a, a professional life, and then they have this service that they're performing for the whole region. I mean, they're there are literally thousands and thousands of people who benefit from our trustees volunteering to exactly. do this important work. So uh, on the radio, while everybody's listening, <laughs> Lisa and I, we say thank you thank to yes. you and all the trustees. For thank sure. You. Yeah. And, you know, that's a good way to think about that personal realm, uh, Chair Buck. What, what do you like to do in your personal time? What's an ideal day yeah. off for Ryan I, Buck? I, you know, I am quite the introvert. I, I, I did not make up this phrase, but I've heard it said, and I repeat all the time. They'll be like, Ryan, do you want to hang out tonight? I'll be like, no, I have to recharge my introvert. <laughs> That's a good way to put <laughs> recharge it. Recharge my introvert. Uh-huh. Yeah. Sometimes when I'm driving home from work, it just the silence. I won't listen to the radio, I won't listen to the news, and just that silence is beautiful. I don't think in 2022 we enjoy, we appreciate silence the way you too you're too connected now. Yeah. So it's hard to enjoy that silence. Yeah. So I do, I like yeah. that. I'm an only child. And sometimes I have to just time myself out mm-hmm. and Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I uh I'm a I'm a star. I love Star Trek. I'm a Trekkie. I'm a big nerd. Uh, love gaming. Uh, computer games are my favorite. Um, and I have a really good, good core group of friends who we make it our mission that we get together at least once a month, wherever it is, Chicago, Detroit, here. Oh. And then at the end of that trip, we always plan our next one. Oh, good. Because, so you, you make know, sure. Yeah. yeah. Life takes over and suddenly it's three months later and we haven't spoken to each other. I, I was hoping you'd share that because that is something that's impressed me about you. And you've shared that every once in a while that you have this friend group that that gets together. I think a lot of friend groups have lost track of each other and don't plan events mm. like that. So I, I think that's a, a really healthy thing to do to keep that core group together. I have this. Uh, I. <laughs> You've seen Golden Girls. Yeah, mm-hmm. sure. I have this funny notion that someday my my core group of eight plus me, so nine, we all do this Golden Girls experience and we all live together. We have a beautiful home on Lake Michigan okay. for the summers. This. this is so And great. then in the winters, uh, I mean, with climate change, we'll see where we're at with that because <laughs> that climate change is real. Um, but somewhere south because I, I love the UP. Their winters, whoo. Oof. Yeah, you're no already thanks. calling the UP they. <laughs> you're really a troll I really, now. You're I really, really hope my troll. family isn't listening to yeah. us. <laughs> they will. Well, what is some of the best advice that you have learned in your life so far? The best advice: listen more than you speak. Mm. Live not in the past, but always learn from it. Okay. And it takes a lifetime to build a good reputation. It takes one bad moment, whether it's a bad act or bad inact, to ruin that reputation. Those are some ringers right there. We got profound. I know. Profound <laughs> right I like there. Yeah. Right there, Lisa. Yeah, they are. And I think And right. I I would also add give people the benefit of the doubt. There's so much naysaying mm-hmm. all over social media, in the news. I, when I go in to meet a new person, if I can make them laugh once, 
in our first interaction, I know we're like friends for life. Right. If yeah. I can get there with that person, oh, I, I'm just, uh, I'm just enamored. But I you like it. people. I, you know, I like people. Yeah. I have my extrovert. Yeah, you, but me, you, but yeah. But at the, that battery goes down and I have to recharge that introvert yeah. to right. get through the day. You know, I've seen you do that in person. So this, this notion of giving folks the benefit of the doubt is so important. I have a colleague who's uh, president of another community college in Texas, and he said it this way. He said, I have never regretted um, assuming the best of intentions in other people. Absolutely. I mean, if you learn that they didn't have good intentions later, that's one thing. But if you're going to, um, if you're, if it's up in the air and you're mm -hmm. wondering, he says, I've never regretted assuming that people had good intentions. I've, I've heard it as go forward with kindness. Yeah, mm. exactly. Um, live in the dream response to, instead of saying, yeah, I'm having a good day. Right. That, that maybe will create a little bit of kindness between you. And that works on your reputation too. Yep, I noticed it. I mean, the, the the two phrases, I'm living the dream or I'm living my best life, is what you would say. <laughs> yeah, that, that's actually when, it, when we were first doing orientation at CMU, we had some speaker come come before us, uh, us 1,400 students, and said, if anyone ever asks you how you're doing, don't say, I'm doing okay. Say, I'm living the dream. I and, say that too, though. Yeah. And Sometimes I'm being snarky, but... Oh, I, uh, <laughs> the, I acknowledge my sarcastic tone. And yeah, yeah. Sometimes if I'm with someone who I'm really vibing with, they'll yeah. get it too. Right. That we're, we agree this is not necessarily, well, this could be a dream. It also could be a nightmare, <laughs> but we're good. We're good. We're doing it together. Yeah, for sure. I feel like it's a dream. I'm so glad I got an opportunity to meet you today. I have quite enjoyed our conversation. Yeah. And, and I've taken, uh, I'm going to be more excited to see <laughs> trustees and going to talk to them. And cause these last two experiences have been great. And I just really appreciate you coming on. Here. Oh, thank you. And I'm, I'm very proud of the board that we have. We yes. are, our membership cares and, they dive into the data yep. and they actively participate at our national and state organizations. And every time I travel, we, we have uh, three conferences we go to every year. Mm. Whenever LCC gets brought up, they're like, oh, LCC champions yet again. Yeah, we everyone, are, though. Everyone knows Indeed. us. Indeed. Everyone knows us nationwide. And our reputation, which takes a long time to build and a lot of people to build, our reputation is excellent. Yes, it is. Both in D.C. and nationwide. Wow, that's great. Absolutely. Well, thank you, Chair Buck, for joining us. It was great to get a chance to learn more about you. And Dr. Robinson, as always, this was fun. Let's do it again. Oh, we got to do it again, Lisa. We're, we're a natural team. We, and I, I really love that you've opened up this space on your show for us to introduce the trustees. It's the perfect way to do that. And I always have a good time talking with you. Well, thank you. This has been Who's That Star? Trustee Edition with our special guest, LCC Board of Trustee Chair, Ryan Buck, and my guest host, President Steve Robinson. I'm Lisa Alexander. This is LCC Connect. Listen on demand at lccconnect.org or on the air at 89.7 FM. You've been listening to Who's That Star? I'm Lisa A., and you can listen to this episode of Who's That Star and other shows from LCC Connect anytime online at lccconnect.org. Thank you for listening. Catch me next time to find out who's that star. Who's that star?
featuring the faculty, staff, students, and others that helped to make Lansing's premier college what it is today. LCC Connect, Mid-Michigan's connection to Lansing Community College. To find out more about our featured programs or to listen on demand, visit us at lccconnect.org. LCC Connect. Voices. Vibes. Vision. K-12 Operations at Lansing Community College has been a proud collaborator of the Lansing Promise Scholarship since 2012. The Lansing Promise Scholarship offers graduating high school seniors who live within the Lansing School District and attend a high school within district boundaries an opportunity to attend LCC. Since its inception, over 1,000 enrolled students have saved over $2 million, earning over 400 degrees and certificates, as well as 30,000 credits at LCC. For more information on the Lansing Promise Scholarship, please visit lcc.edu hope. My name is Dale Pazinski. I'm 19 years old, and this is how I live united. I've always been kind of a computer geek, and I found a way to use those skills to help the homeless in my community. For people facing hard times, computer skills and a basic resume are so important. It may seem like a small thing, but it makes a huge difference in people's lives. So with United Way, I created a program where I work with the homeless. Together, we go through their whole job history, write a resume, and then save it on their very own USB drive. We provide workbooks and training certificates. I even budgeted for cupcakes so we can celebrate as a class when one of our people gets a job. That's huge. When somebody says, hey man, that job that you helped me apply for, I got it. That's what Living United feels like to me. My name is Dale Pazinski. I help people achieve financial independence. So I don't just wear the shirt, I live it. Give, advocate, volunteer, live united. Go to liveunited.org. Brought to you by United Way and the Ad Council. Lansing Community College's Business and Community Institute provides businesses with customized, synergistic trainings that realize logistical opportunity. Learn more about the future of business today at lcc.edu bci. LCC Connect. Voices. Vibes. Vision. Hey, y'all, and welcome to the very first episode of It's Britney B Podcast, a show where you and I go on a journey and break down subjects that most of us want to talk about, listen to, or even want to be a part of. I'm your host, Brittany, and if y'all are ready, let's sit back, relax, and let's chat. On today's episode, we are going to talk about limerence and the characteristics of this love addiction. Now, first things first, what is limerence? Well, according to dictionary.org, limerence is the state of being obsessively infatuated with someone, which is usually accompanied by delusions of or a desire for an intense romantic relationship with that person. I know it's probably safe to say that most of us have been there before. You meet this person. You really, really are vibing them. Your heart beats fast. Anything and everything reminds you of them. They do not have a single flaw in our eyes. They are literally everything you wanted them to be. And the sparks come out of nowhere. Now, some of y'all are probably already wondering, but Britt, isn't that what falling in love is? And I know you guys, I know. 
but unfortunately not really. The movies, television, even our friends' social media have tricked us, or I guess we really tricked ourselves. Because those feelings I just described fit into the characteristics of this love addiction we call limerence. Limerence is a love addiction, you guys. And I know I have been in limerence at least three times in my life. And I know I can say when I'm attracted to a man at a love addicted level, I have pictured our whole lives together. Stupid scenarios that would never happen. I get sprung over this dude and I don't even know who, what his middle name is. Why? Because this guy decided to give me a little dose of attention that I so desperately craved at the time. They give me the feeling of approval because obviously they approved something about me, whether it was my looks or some type of accomplishment that seems appealing. And then also, again, they give me the attention. And I love attention. But why does this happen? Why do some people fall for this addiction of love? Well, we can start with the classic textbook example of abandonment and neglect issues during childhood by a parent and or caretaker. This neglect already predisposes us to the feeling of wanting to be wanted, wanting to be loved. Love addicts, more often than not, have a hard childhood that causes them to lead them in situations that they are in now. You know the saying, we often favor people who resemble our parents. In this case, it's not in our favor, though. As children, we know nothing about love other than the love that our parents or caretakers have shown us. We learn about what we think the adult world is through the love and care of our parents. And if your parents or caretakers are emotionally unavailable to you as a kid, I mean, naturally, you look for that in your romantic life as you get older. Why? Because that's what we're used to. Now, couples counselor and psychotherapist Kate McKenzie has stated that almost all love addicts have had a distant relationship with their non-nurturing mother. Anyone who thinks they might be a love addict have a non-nurturing mother? I know I have, but I do not want to discredit my mother. For everything she has done for me and my brother, she's a great mom. But for me as an adult now, I know that my mother and I had became extremely close. And we've handled a lot of wounds that we've both caused each other. Nowadays, I can call that woman and talk to her all the time about everything. My mom, she's my everything, my best friend, she's my mom. And she was never a bad mom. She was just a single mom, just trying to give her kids the best life she could provide. But because of that, she was hardly home. She would work nights. So if we did see her, she was in the dreadful, ugh, I have to work another 12-hour shift mood. And that alone was a sign to stay away from her. So my mom and I, I guess you could say we weren't really close when I was a teenager. Plus, I was not the best teen and. Being a single mom and working a 12-hour shift, you're not really trying to deal with your bad teen when you come home. Again, she wasn't a bad mom. Just nurturing wasn't her strong suit at the time, given her circumstance. But man, did I try to get her approval with all the important things to me in life. Music, sports, talking about girl stuff. My mom's love and affection was super important to me. And when she gave me attention, when she wasn't tired or when she told me I did a good job or even coming to my choir concerts and hearing me sing a solo, it was like Christmas time to me. The sad thing though, is that this craving I yearned so much for my mom seeped into my adult love life. Remember what I said earlier about the love our parents give us? 
is the love that we project into our adult life. Okay, here's how this has happened to me in my own love addiction. So as an adult, my infatuation on men that I have encountered in my life, not out of love per se, though it really did seem like it at the time. But anyway, the obsession of the idea on how I envision obtaining this love I craved so much was a problem for me. And I would end up falling into this limerence or love addiction with men that only had to give me two seconds of attention. And I would engorge my heart with this tiny bit of attraction and confusing that tiny bit for undivided love. I'd obsess over it because that's how I was with my own mom. I'd do whatever I had to do to get their love completely, but it always failed. And that was usually because suddenly my potential love interest was not available, whether it was emotionally or due to something else. So why does love addiction happen? Can it happen to anyone? Is it truly a real addiction? Can people get help for this? Well, ladies and gents and non-binaries, in a moment, we are going to answer these questions. But first, let's go over some, but not all, characteristics of a person who is currently in a limerent, a.k.a. love-addicted trance. Let's start with the first characteristic. People in limerence want the forbidden fruit. What do I mean by that? I mean, the people want a person that they can't have. The whole thrill of the chase, you might say. You want what you can't have. Like people who are married or swooning over someone who's already expressed that they're not interested in you, which usually was the category I fell into. Or even obsessing over a celebrity. You never want to meet your idol because if you do meet your idol, you always end up being disappointed. Prime example right here, you fall in love with the idea of like Tom Hardy, but then you meet him and he's nothing like you imagine. In fact, he's actually a piece of crap. I'm just kidding. Tom Hardy, if you're ever listening to this, because you're perfect to me. Okay, I'm still working on him in that aspect, but we're not talking about that today. Anyway, as a love addict, we tend to crave the love from people who do not reciprocate it back to us. Paya Melody, the author of Facing Love Addiction, stated that love addicts are naturally drawn to love avoidance. So they are drawn to a partner who cannot and more likely will not meet their needs. Because, remember, their childhood trauma and abandonment. The addicts feel unworthy. All they know is to cater, cater, cater to get their limerent love's approval. Just like we did with our parents and caretakers as kids. You do something good, your parents acknowledge it. They give you praise and reward. You do something good for your significant other, they acknowledge it. They give you a small microdose of attention and affection. And for some reason, that small attention and affection is just enough for us. Because a little bit of love and attention is so much better than being single. Which leads me to my next characteristic. People in limerence, or people who have a love addiction, I'll intermingle between the two, but they mean the same thing. They don't like to be single. One of the worst positions for a love addict is to be single. Lord, you can't do that. Love addicts want to be with someone so bad that they are willing to settle often for abusive partners. I know I did. Twice times, you guys. One, two. I would stay with the worst person for me. But it's all good because I was with someone. They will change someday. Hopefully, maybe, I, I don't know. All I know is that being with this toxic human 
will provide me with at least the bare minimum of affection, which to me at that time was way better than being alone with no one. But when you are the love addict, it's not that easy. And it's definitely not favorable. No matter what, the love addict is desperate to have the object, no matter whether it's good for them or not. Because as long as they are not single, they are totally okay with the toxic chaos that may soon follow. I mean, we all like a bit of spice in our life, right? I want passionate love. And you can't have that kind of love if the relationship is stable. Because then, what are you really fighting for? Which brings me to the third characteristic. Trying to understand why people in limerence get bored with relationship stability. Yes, they get bored with stability. Remember that episode in Euphoria? I think it was like season two. And it was Maddie and her crappy friend Cassie. Maddie was talking about how she wasn't sure if she could handle being with someone who could love her and treat her right and take care of her and do everything you're supposed to do when you're actually in love. She said, not verbatim, that she was addicted to the chaos that her and Nate had. This is the type of situation that I'm talking about. A love addict person does not want stability. They want chaos. I mean, it's not like they're not capable of having a normal relationship, but that would require self-work on their end. And when you are an active addict, you're not trying to hear about working on yourself when you're too busy trying to find love. They're addicted to the idea of love, the excitement, the passion, all the things you get in the honeymoon stage of the relationship, aka when you're first talking or dating, or you can even get it from a toxic partner. Not an easygoing, self-aware, mature, positive partner. That would be completely boring to a love addict. Why? Because that would require a legitimate connection. They keep a certain distance, the love addict does. I always made my relationships about the partner, never about myself. I couldn't bear to face myself as a person, let alone have another human being who's already rocky as it looks, see the real me, and then, you know, potentially leave. Give me your chaos, and I will handle it. Just don't leave me, okay? I can't bear to be alone or bear the idea that you are with someone else because you, in my mind, are too perfect for me. And that leads us to characteristic number four, you guys, which is people in limerence or people who are in a love addiction will idolize their objects of affection to a fault, which really means they will fantasize their romantic interest into a bad degree. The love interest becomes perfect in any possible way. Flaws? <laughs> Non-existent. But that becomes a problem. How? Well, we as the love addict do not give ourselves a chance to see the love interest for who they really are. We refuse to allow it. You ignore all the flaws and all the red flags. This person's shown you attention and a microdose of love, so you automatically default this person as perfect. They're giving you everything you ever wanted since you were a kid. But that's not genuine. How can you truly love someone if you don't give yourself love at all? I know it's a bit cliche, but I mean, come on, you guys, it is true. Real love for yourself gives you the gift to see flaws and red flags in others. This then gives you the chance to actually decide if you're willing to work and love that person or if you think you deserve better. Real love gives safety and reciprocity. 
And isn't that what we all strive for, love addict or not? Of course it is. But really, real love usually does not have repercussions like limerence does. Love addiction is real and has its repercussions even outside the actual relationship with the love interest. Being a love addict pushes family and friends away. It did for me, for sure. My last relationship caused me to push my best friend of foreverdom away for about two years. And that was painful. That was actually probably worse than an actual heartbreak itself. But again, I was not willing to be alone. I stayed in that toxic relationship and lost one of the most valuable friendships because I couldn't handle being alone. And I would be damned if I were to be alone and then see someone else put their hands on my limerent object. I even put them before my kids. I put this love interest before my kids. Dealing with all this love person's crap, dealing with all the love interest's drama, all their chaos and not caring, that I am messing up my relationships and my connections with my family and friends. Only coming to my family and friends for like a hot second for support when I need them because my love interest dogged me out real bad. And I'm going to leave them this time. Only to put my family and friends on the back burner again because the toxic love interest that I'm addicted to gave me attention and wants me back. I'm wanted again by a person who abandoned me and neglected me. I'm getting that fix back. And like I said, again, love addiction It is like an actual addiction. Love addicts cannot help that they struggle with this addiction. Remember childhood trauma stuff? And like real addiction, you go through the addiction fixings, withdrawals, being without the person. You get the anxiety, the depressions, the racing thoughts, maybe even palpitations. You also need the fix. This person's bad for me and they may bring me to my ultimate downfall. But if that person comes back, I'm going to get that taste. Then you relapse. You're back in that bottomless pit of hell again. But you got that little bit of love back, so you're fine. But it doesn't stop there. You suffer at work and school too. How can you focus on work and school if this person is all you think about? What are they doing? What's their favorite color? How can I run into them without them knowing and being obvious about it? Again, you can't focus when you're trying to make destiny happen on your own. So you have to potentially lose your job and fail. It is what it is. You have to do it. It's love. You're addicted to it. But... We now know, deep down, that's not the way to go. And you can get help for this. Now, people with a love addiction who, you know, are in limerence, just want to find great love like the rest of us. The problem for them is it's very much a one-sided obsession. People experiencing love addiction generally subscribe to a belief that their love can overcome anything. They believe in the poetry of love to a degree, that would allow the person to also believe that they can have their desired results with the other person. The person also experiences some joy in the process itself. They get a sense of pleasure in the contemplation of what it could be. But that's not what love is. And no, I am no expert in any of this. But I'd like to say I am a recovering love addict. And I think I'd like to think I'm more in the loving myself stage at this point in my life. And I can only truly go off my own experiences. But love, genuine love, involves two people who are both mutually agreeable to be in a romantic relationship with one another. They both still hold on to their individual selves. There's no risk of codependency or losing oneself. 
at some point there has to be some complete detachment of what we thought love was when we were kids and know that the love we may not have received as a child is not the same as an adult because as an adult, this kind of love is now in our control. We can decide what we feel and what we deserve. We can decide that we can still be ourselves and the right people will gravitate and stay. That we don't have to appease to have the approval of others or the love or affection that we tried to get from our parents. I don't want the same love I craved for my mom in a romantic relationship. It's just weird. <laughs> I honestly don't know what I want in a relationship because I'm not there yet. Remember, I'm in the self-loving part, so I'm still trying to figure out how to love me. But I do know when that time does come someday in the far, far, far future, I know it's going to be different than what it used to be in the past. Now, if you are someone who is currently or could possibly be in some type of love-addicted trance, there are resources that can help you. The Addiction Center is a great place you can go online and check out and see a bunch of different resources for love addictions, and they even have contact information for therapists that you can speak to online. Now remember, you guys, the ingredients to recovery is hard work, dedication, and a loving support system. So, today, no pressure. Give a call or a text to your family or your friends that you have abandoned for this person you were so in love with and let them know that you want them back in your lives. That's the first step. Recognize it. Get your support. Build your army so you can fight this battle. Love is out there, you guys, and you don't have to be addicted to the idea in order to achieve it. Today, we went over limerence, the love addiction, and why it is called love addiction. I hope this episode makes a difference to someone, whether it's opened someone's eyes or was just a good listen to on the way to work or class. But again, real love does exist, you guys. But it all starts with love for yourself first. If you are a love addict or even a recovering love addict, just know you can have a good support system and there are resources for this kind of addiction and you aren't alone and most of us have been in this position. You can't overcome this. Well, you guys, thank you for sitting with me on my very first episode. It has been a pleasure talking with you on its Britney B. Crap podcast, the show where you and I go on a journey and break down topics most of us want to talk about, listen to, or even be a part of. I'm your host, Brittany. I want to say thank you for Dedalian for producing my first episode today. And a thought for the day, the more you light your lighter, the lighter your lighter gets until it is too light to light. Don't forget to stay tuned for new episodes and to stay up to date with the latest episodes, go to lccconnect.org. Get it? Got it? Done. Talk to you later. Bye-bye. This is LCC Connect. Voices. Vibes. Vision. The University Center at Lansing Community College collaborates with five four-year universities to provide easy transfer pathways for more than 30 bachelor's degrees programs. Visit lcc.edu slash uc to learn more. 
November 16th through the 20th, Lansing Community College Performing Arts presents Everybody, an adaptation of Jacobs Jenkins' 15th century morality play, Everyman. For more information, visit lcc.edu slash show info. Hi, I'm Melissa Kaplan, and I host a show called Galaxy Forum on LCC Connect. It's all about the creativity in our classrooms and on campus here at LCC and the connections we have with the community. You can catch Galaxy Forum here on LCC Connect or listen anytime at lccconnect.org. This is WLNZ Lansing. You're listening to LCC Connect a weekly program that features the voices, vibes, and vision of Lansing Community College. To find out more about LCC Connect programs or to listen on demand, visit us at lccconnect.org. LCC Connect. Voices. Vibes. Vision. 